0: OOF mm-hmm. everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Practice, Real Estate 310. Today happens to be show number 25. What we're going to be dealing with today is finishing off the chapter that actually was titled The Sale of a Business. But what this chapter really dealt with was the concept of different types of activities that you can do in the real estate business in order to earn... A living, in other words, not just selling homes, but giving you a concept or an idea of different types of other real estate activities that you can do, such as selling businesses, uh, you know, originating loans, doing escrows, different things like that. So what we're going to be doing is finishing off that particular chapter. And what I want to do, as usual, is kind of step back a little bit and just talk about where we finished off the last time, and then we're going to kind of move forward. I'm going to move over here to my old friendly document camera here for a minute. And uh, what I want to do is point out to you is that the last time we talked about, well, some of the things that we talked about the last time, just near the end of the show, is we talked about the concept of that you could be, uh, come or provide services such as notary services, And again, the concept behind that is is that when people, you'll see this a lot in small uh, towns, small real estate offices, and and small communities, where that might be the way place where people will come when they need to have documents notarized for all sorts of reasons. It could be, for example, uh, you know, there could be something that's required as a probate action. You know, it can be uh, like, for example, I remember years ago when uh, I had an uncle that died and they were probating as a in New York. And the attorney had sent some paperwork to us, to each one of the kids that we had to sign and have notarized and send back. So we went to a regular notary in order to do that. Uh, it was a real estate office, in fact, because we had to get it done over the weekend. You could, so you can have, pe- that would be one service that you may just want to offer to maybe have people that are interested in coming into your office and doing business with you, or you may, as I mentioned the last time, I've had a couple students that have actually gotten into the uh, business where they're not only doing notary work, but they're also going to people's houses with all of the loan documents and paperwork that's necessary to be signed, uh, signed off and notarized. And uh, the reason why that's becoming sort of a business now is because, uh, especially with the Internet, a lot of those companies that are doing like loans over the Internet, home loans like Dietek, may not have a local presence of having somebody in the community to sign that document, those documents because they're on the Internet. So they'll actually send them over the Internet to somebody that they've already made arrangements with, which could be somebody like you who will download those documents or you'll receive the package via something like a Federal Express package, then you'll make an appointment, go over to their house, go ahead and sign all of the documents off or have them sign the documents and then you'll notarize them, take the entire package and then send it back normally via something like a uh, Federal Express or UPS or DHL type of delivery back to them and you get paid a fee for that. So it's kind of gotten that way where we've actually had that demand for that service over the Internet. Uh, because the, uh, the loans over the internet. Also other companies, loan companies such as maybe Wells Fargo or Bank of America may need those services because the client is not, it's difficult for them to come to the office or maybe their office is closed when they're available to have them signed. I can remember for example uh, getting a loan through Wells Fargo Bank where we actually went to have some documents signed and notarized and went to the local UPS store because the people that were in the bank weren't notaries so anyway that's a service that you could provide the next thing that we talked about was the concept of property management and again you can find yourself getting involved in managing property uh, sometimes on purpose you know because you basically want to do this you find that this is an activity that interests you a lot of times the reason why people will do property management is because once they have worked at establishing a a list of clients that have properties that they want to rent out what happens is it starts to become a fairly stable stream of income for them and so keep in mind that when we're talking about property management it doesn't necessarily just mean single-family fo- homes or or duplexes or fourplexes you can actually talk about property management area specialization where you want to do things like find businesses that want to lease space you know so if i want to go in the donut shop business i may very well go to a real estate agent and talk to them and say could you help me locate a space to rent they will know all of the different places in town that are for rent drive me around show me the places and they will help me in negotiating the lease setting the lease up for the new uh, place that uh, i'm going to be occupying and they'll get paid a commission for doing that and you can do that in a lot of different ways. It can be, again, from single-family homes, duplexes, four-plexes. It could be apartment houses, office buildings, shopping centers, industrial parks, uh, warehousing, all of those kinds of activities you can do in the sense of finding clients, finding people to rent, and then actually collecting the rent and managing those activities on a, on a day-to-day basis. So that can be a really good stream of income for you and it also is an area of uh, that takes a lot of expertise so it would take an area to concentrate in if if you were interested the next thing that they talked about in the book here was something called escrow activities again i kind of really want to emphasize to you that in order for you to do the rest escrow activities Uh, For a client, you have to be part of where you are either the agent that's selling or the broker that's selling the home or the broker that's listing the home for sale, or maybe you're handling both the buyer and the seller. That's just the way the law is set up. The one thing that I do kind of want to emphasize is the fact that escrow is a very, very, uh, because I have been in that business, it's a very... uh, uh... labor if you will intensive businesses a lot of coordination a lot of activity that goes on behind the scenes it's not where somebody just comes in and signs some paperwork if if it appears to be that easy it's because the title insurance company and the escrow officers make it look easy but in reality I can remember the days when they they actually had to sit down and type every single instruction, prepare all the grant deeds, the deeds of trust, and all of that other stuff. It was a very, very labor-intensive activity. What's made it less or easier to do today is now they use computer software to do it. So in the past where maybe they would do something like a grant deed and make a mistake and they'd have to tear it up and throw it away and start over again, now they can just go back, make the correction, and print it back out again but the point is is that it's not a huge income producing area and it does take a lot of activity and a lot of expertise to make that work and you'll see a lot of escrow officers I mean it's not just they themselves but they'll have assistants that they work with and they're closing a lot of transactions sometimes when when times are busy they may be closing somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 80 transactions on a monthly basis so it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of activity and a lot of coordination but that and remember the only escrows we're talking about here are you doing is the ones that in which your company is either ha- representing the buyer or the seller. Uh, the escrow companies, on the other hand, are working with a lot of different real estate agents. So they're getting business from a lot of different sources. But it's an area you can focus on. There was times in Sacramento in which there were several companies that since then uh, have been bought up by other companies. But, in which they did have departments that handled escrow, I mean lion Realtors had an escrow department uh, there was a company called j b h which was Jones Brandon Holland, that had an escrow department, and then that was bought by a company called colwell banker um, there There was another one called Kiernan Realtors, and they were had an escrow department that handled, which was sort of unique they handled not only home sales but they handled business transaction sales. Uh, or bulk sales, if you will, but they had a separate department. So a lot of that activity now is being taken over by the title insurance companies because of the j- sheer amount of expertise and volume you have to do in order to, to become profitable enough. Uh, so anyway, that's another activity. Turning this over, uh, let me see. The other thing that they talked about in here that I think that you kind of want to think about and we discussed the last time is loan brokerage activities. Uh, real estate agents... Uh, there's two different uh, thought patterns that are happening with this uh, being a loan, uh, uh, if you will, a loan brokerage activity. The concept is is that some companies are having where the agent can not only help the person buy the home, but they're, in other words, they're working with the agent and finding the home for them or they're listing the home for sale, but they're also working with the clients to obtain financing. Some companies are having where the agent is actually initiating the process and following it through. Some of the companies actually have where they have like a sister company that does that kind of loan processing activity, if you will. It uh, comes to my mind uh, if you go around town and you look at companies like Lion Realtors. They have a Lion Realtors, and then usually in the same office complex, they have a company called Viatech that work together. Uh, but there are agents that will do both. Usually the agents, though, uh, you, it's like anything else. You, you have people out of for that and people out of against that. People out of for that feel that, you know, the reason why they want to do it is that they know their clients really well. They've been working with their clients for quite some period of time now. They, they, know, they know them fairly well. Uh, they know what, uh, what kind of interests they are, uh, what kinds of uh, just how they are as people. And they also have gone through the approval process so they know what kind of credit rating they have and what kind of homes that they can afford to purchase. And so that's usually good because you're not passing somebody off to another, to another entity or another person. The other thing is, is that they're, you're looking at it as another profit center as a real estate agent. So the concept is, is if you help somebody purchase a home, uh, you know, you're earning a commission on uh, the sale of the home, and then you're also earning a commission on helping them find a loan or negotiating and getting the loan taken care of. So in other words, it's kind of like you're getting, you can earn more money per client. So you may be looking at it and saying, well, you know what? If I just sell homes, if that's all I do, I need to sell 20 homes a year in order to make a living. But if I not only sell the homes, but I'm able to originate the mortgages, too, on some of those homes, possibly, not always all of them, but some of them maybe I don't have to sell 20 maybe all I have to sell is maybe 15 or 14 in other words so you you're earning more money per client and that's the reason why people kinda like that that's the pro side the con side that you'll hear from people that are on the other side are saying wait a minute financing is a fairly complex function a complex task it takes a lot of knowledge especially of what the various programs are doing for example in the last few years most of the financing that people have been doing is conventional type of loans. In other words, they've gone to the bank, they've got a conventional loan from, you know, uh, Washington Mutual or through Viatech or through um, Wells Fargo or Bank of America, but they haven't really been using government sponsored programs such as FHA, VA, or Calvet. And the main reason why is because. Well, basically for two reasons. One is because the prices of those homes in Sacramento area is higher than some of the limits on those loan programs. That's one. And then the second thing is is a perceived, if you will, bureaucracy attached to getting these types of loans. In other words, people say, oh, God, if we have to go and get an FHA or a VA loan, it's going to take hundred and twenty days you know and that's not true I mean if you do your upfront work it can be done just as quickly as a regular conventional loan can be and also a lot of those loan programs are set up to help our friends that are first-time buyers but the thing is is a lot of the limits on those programs change a lot of the income requirements change uh, there's a lot of programs now that are available through the uh, Sacramento Housing and Redevelopment Agency to help first-time buyers uh, with things like down payments. So it's, it's gotten to be a much more complex thing that you have to kind of stay on top of and watch and read and understand, where you actually not only are just taking a loan uh, application, but you're also counseling the clients on what's the best program for them to utilize. So because of that complexity, a lot of agents sometimes feel that that's better handled by somebody that does that on a full-time basis because it takes so much work to do that. So again, there's a pro side and a con side. Which one you decide to do or how you decide to do it is up to you, but you can make additional money by doing loans on top of selling real estate too, okay? The... uh, Next thing that they talked about in the book is another area in which uh, people can be involved with, which is, if I can get this page up here, is something called syndication. Now, syndication is, is something that you see a lot in the investment and the commercial area. And the purpose of the syndication is this. Is that, you know, if you turn around and take a look at the fact of, uh, if you try to to find individuals that are, let's say, in the Sacramento area that want to buy a very large apartment complex, you may find it difficult. In other words, there's not that many people around that want to, you know, that have that ability to put out, you know, $3 million, $4 million, $5 million on up for a large office building or a shopping center. But the concept is, is that, that we may find that we can find a number of people, though, that are interested in investing in things like apartment houses and shopping centers but don't have all of the money to buy it or the money to put as a down payment. So, for example, uh, and they also don't want to get involved in the daily activities and the management activities. They just have made the decision that they feel that they understand real estate really well in that they basically want to invest in real estate versus in putting all their money in the stock market or the bond market or whatever. And so the concept of syndication is, and this is basically what Donald Trump and all of the large real estate developers do, they don't actually use all their funds to buy property. What they essentially do and where they earn their living is they're selling their expertise. In other words, if Donald Trump decides that he's going to build a huge uh, condo project in New York or something in Las Vegas or whatever, what he does is he actually puts together a group or a team of people. And so, for example, he may be somebody that is initially going to have maybe real estate brokers, say in, uh, it might be, say, in the Sacramento area that are actually going to look for the land to build, uh, to build the building. In the meantime, while he's got some broker looking for that, he may very well be working with some investors and putting together a business organization. And those people are going to not put in, they're going to each maybe put in maybe $50,000 each uh, as 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 a partnership, if you will, to buy this this project. So he puts all of this stuff together. In other words, he finds the land through a broker. He puts the investors together to purchase the land or to purchase the building. And then he actually turns around, and then once the building is acquired, then his team or his people will actually handle the leasing, collect the rents, make the payments, hire the maintenance companies, or do whatever. So, uh, So, And then when they get ready to sell the building, it'll be his office or his company that will actually put the property on the market for sale and sell it. So this is another area in which... Uh, you can be involved in the real estate business where you're going to be involved with not necessarily just running around and finding office building and shopping centers but actually putting together a group of people that are interested in acquiring that kind of property then identifying that property and uh, then turning around and acquiring it managing it fixing it up uh, renting it out whatever happens to be and you're going to be doing that on a regular basis so that's called syndication and we talked about this back in chapter 11 that there's different ways to form syndications if you remember we talked about things like we could have something like a general partnership which was not recommended or we could have a limited partnership or we could have a corporation own it so there's a lot of different ways of putting this business entity together that's going to own that project but again your job is going to be putting those groups of investors together and acquiring the property managing and then finally disposing of it so it's a very interesting field and uh, it's something that after you're in the business for a while you may want to actually focus on if you have several investors it doesn't have to be some huge project i mean it can be started out with uh, you know, a few investors that want to buy something like a duplex or a fourplex. And uh, the idea of buying it, putting in, so not everybody's putting a lot of money at risk, and then you're going to be the guy that's going to go out and, and maybe if it needs work, hiring the contractors to fix the roof or fix the foundation or paint the place, and then maybe either rent it out or put it back on the market again and sell it. Okay, so that's what we're doing. And then going to the next project, the next one, and the next one. That's syndication. The next thing they talk about in here is brokerage opportunities. And uh, let me see, brokerage opportunities, okay. Uh, The last thing we want to mention is that they talk about something in here called mechanics of probate sale. Uh, What they're really talking about in here, just so that you're familiar with this, is that when people uh, pass away, one of the things that happens is that the real estate that they own has to normally it's either going to go to somebody that's in the family now remember probate is where you know you die or the person dies and what happens is they leave a will if they happen to have one they leave a will in the will the will appoints somebody called an executor the executor takes the will goes to the probate court the the job of the probate court is to make sure and to validate that the will is really correct and true and current and uh... And then after that, then they make sure that the executor is appointed. Now, the executor's job is to really make sure that the wishes of the people that are left behind are carried out. And that can involve things like who's going to take care of the children, where the uh, insurance money is going to go to, where uh, if you're going to donate things to charity, where that's going to go to, and also the real estate, what's going to happen to the real property. Now, in some cases, you'll find that people will basically... Uh, in some cases people, if they say like you have a husband and a wife that are alive and the husband dies and the wife is left and then the wife dies and then all of a sudden the people that are going to get the property are going to be the children. Now in some cases maybe the people, the children live in the same community as where the parents lived and they're more than happy to move into mom and dad's house. It's a nice house and they'll maybe even in the will they'll leave the house to the children or to one child. But in many cases, especially as, as families become older and the parents, uh, when the parents die and the people have their own home and uh, their own place to live and maybe they live out of state, what will happen is they'll say, you know what, what we need to do is sell mom and dad's house and then split up whatever the uh, amount of money or the earnings that we receive on it. And so, in order to do that, you're going to find out that you may—they're uh, going to normally hire a real estate agent or a broker in order to market the property. Now, you can have where this is where the executive is going to do this, or maybe somebody dies without a will, and the court's going to have to turn around and appoint somebody that's going to market and sell the property. And um, and uh, I'm trying to so so anyway the. the uh, the property will have to be listed for sale, and then it'll have to be marketed, it'll have to be sold, and then whatever the the proceeds of it will actually go to the estate. And then uh, if the estate, if there is a will, that's fine. If not, then the court is going to have to decide where the money is going to go. And if there's no will, then they're going to have to sit there and say, well, according to law, how should this be passed? And it might be where the money is initially going to go to the wife, or it might be split between the wife and the children. And if it's died without a will... Or if there's no wife or no children, it might go to a brother or a sister, but they're going to follow a law in order to do that. But again, it's the court, it's the probate sales that are going to be involved. And you might that might be an area that you want to admit, not necessarily focus in full time, but it's an area where it takes a, a fairly good level of expertise because of understanding what processes have to happen during the probate so that you're not just sitting there going, well, I don't understand what's going on. Why aren't we able to list the house right now? You have to be able to understand what's really going on during the court process. What they do do in here is they give you a, um, a probate listing agreement, which is sort of similar um, to the kinds of listing agreements that you would see on a single-family home, except it doesn't have all the necessary details in here. But again, it'll go through just... Uh, just to point out here, you know where you're give, given the right to sell the property, exclusive right to sell. You're describing the property. You're getting a court confirmation. You're getting the terms of the sale. In other words, what the listing price is. If there's any personal property to be sold, many times when people pass away, you may find out that the property that's in there, maybe maybe furniture or, or, or something like that. That they, when they sell the house, they want to sell everything because nobody really wants say for example, the furniture that's left. So you may have to describe whatever the personal, personal property is and any additional terms. Down here is where you're just authorizing the broker to, um, to put the uh, property in the multiple listing system. Down here is the compensation that the broker is going to receive, okay, just like their commission. On the back page is going to be uh, the broker's duties, uh, uh, brokers and sellers' duties. This is talking about the agency relationship, which we've talked about before. Remember, when you're appointed, you have that uh, agency relationship where you're representing somebody else. This will talk about the things like the deposit, what's going to happen to the deposits you receive. This is, where it would, this is dealing with things like the lockbox, letting people know that there'll be a lockbox on the property, that there'll be a sign with the property for sale, any additional terms, and it, that's pretty much it. That's about what the contract is. And, and there's more to it than this, but basically this will give you an idea that, there is, that this is an area in which you can decide that you want to focus some of your activity in. And uh, I would recommend that, first of all, you would probably go down and contact the probate courts and get familiar with how that process works and how they go about disposing of property and where it's listed for sale so that you're kind of familiar with how that works. Also, you may find out that you may be want to, uh, uh, if you're going to be doing something like that, you may be working a lot with attorneys and maybe you're wanting to contact attorneys or accountants and let them know of your service because they may be looking for things initially that you can help them with, like uh, not necessarily an appraisal, but what do you think the comparative market analysis would show, what the property should maybe sell for, what do you as a real estate agent think that needs to be done on the property in order to sell it? Because remember, this property may have some additional issues to deal with. It may be vacant, so we may need to do something like work at maybe doing some repair work or staging it for sale. Uh, or we may be able to, or we may also be concerned about the fact that if it's vacant. We have to be concerned about: is our insurance going to cover us? Maybe we're going to rent the property out for uh, for an interim period of time because during some of these times it may take time to get documents back from. Uh, from people uh, because like during the court, uh, probate court action, the probate court is going to have documents or require the administrator or the executor to be sending documents out to other people. So it may be a period of time before that house can actually be put on the market and sold. So you may be looking at, hey, what do we do with as far as renting it right now to maybe generate some income Or uh, is our insurance going to cover us if it's vacant? Because if it's vacant, it can be vandalized. So those are things that you would want to know about and become familiar with if you're going to specialize in that area. And then letting uh, uh, attorneys and accountants who usually are dealing with these types of estates know that you're interested in this and what kind of services maybe you could provide and help them with. Uh, The next thing that they talk about here, which is, uh, I'm just uh, taking a look here, is they talk about something called the state of California opportunities, sales opportunities. Uh, This is something that a lot of people maybe don't realize, but um, there's... uh, You know, the state of California, counties and cities happen to be one of the people uh, or one of the entities that are involved in renting and leasing lots and lots of property and lots of space. A lot of the buildings that are in Sacramento, I mean, our state government is expanding on a regular basis. And they need office space. And so if you look at the space who negotiates those leases, it's all of the commercial brokerage companies in town. So there's a lot of that activity that goes on. The one thing that I found that was interesting in here, and I think I have, I have it. I'll show you here in a minute. Is Caltrans has a program that you may want to look at and um, and uh, look into as sort of an interest, or maybe it's something you want to be involved in. It's called the. It's called uh, Caltrans under the Airspace Development Program. Licenses are permitted to negotiate uh, airspace leases through Cal, uh, California Division of Highways and receive a commission for such spaces. Let me tell you basically what that happens to be. This thing has to deal with the fact of, if, like, for example, in Sacramento, we have freeways that are running through Sacramento. And if you take a look at those freeways and you drive around to certain areas, say, for example, uh, in the downtown area around 30th Street, you'll see that there are areas where you have the freeway and underneath you may have like storage space or that or you may have where RT regional transit is storing their buses or you may have parking garages so the concept is this that the Caltrans would have space in other words the freeway is up here there's all this space that's down below and the fact is is that what they want to do is they would like to take and lease that space out and when they lease it out, they can then receive some income from it. Uh, I mean, if I just drive around Sacramento and look underneath the freeways, I'll see parking spaces. I'll see uh, storage places to store, um, like mini storage uh, locations. And that all has to be leased and negotiated or uh, with Caltrans. And what's interesting is, is right before the class, I actually went to this website here, if you are ever interested in this, this is the website currently that you go to for Caltrans. The thing that you would be interested if you were, wanted to do something like this is you would look up this manual right here, which is the right-of-way manual. You click on that manual, and it's actually Chapter 15 or 16 when you open it up, and it'll talk all about how this airspace works and how you would go about setting it up and leasing the property out and earning a commission for doing that. So, again, if you're interested in that, that's, that, that's something um, that you may want to follow through. If for no other reason, it's kind of a novelty thing to see, uh, uh, you know, uh, what kinds of uh, possible business opportunities there are there. But when we look at downtown area, in fact, I, I kind of sit here and I say to myself, you know, in the downtown Sacramento area, we are going to be right now we're building a lot of condominiums. Uh, in the downtown area, a lot of loft apartments. I mean, there's a lot on the drawing board to be built. And so I sit here and I go to myself, when I look at a lot of these things, just my mind going through here, I'm saying, you know, where are those people going to put their boat? They're going to put their RV. Where are they going to store some of this stuff that they need to have access to? And you stop and you think about it. Is is not now, but maybe in the next five or 10 years, if things go the way they're planned, we're going to have a lot of people regular people living in the downtown area in condominiums and loft departments. And they're going to have storage space requirements. A lot of those places that are condominiums and townhouses don't have enough parking space. In other words, they have space for one car, but they don't have for two cars. Or maybe the people and the, and the units are small. So where are people going to put stuff that they want to have access to? You know, their fishing rods and their their, uh, their, uh, you know, ski equipment or whatever, where are they going to put that? And it's kind of interesting, you know, if you take a look at all that storage capacity that's underneath the freeways in the downtown area, that could possibly be an opportunity. There's parking lots sitting down there that that are parking lots now, and nobody parks there right now. That could possibly be an area where people want to park, you know, lease that out and put their second car or their RV or whatever. It's just a thought. Think about that. Something's going to have to be done. In fact, I was thinking the other night, In the downtown area, if we put all the people down there that we're talking about it, we're going to need to have some shopping places to buy food. There is really, in reality, in the downtown area right now, there is no rallies. There is no luckies. There is no Safeway. There is no big, fairly large grocery store for people to be able to buy their groceries. They're going to have to go out of the downtown area, either to West Sacramento or out to East Sacramento or South Sacramento to buy their food. So that's just another thought if you look down the road interesting thing, though. Um, The next thing is is that they talk about in here, let me see if I get the right one here. They talk about subdivision sales opportunities, uh, and they talk about uh, a couple things. Basically, what we want to do is sort of emphasize here is the fact that when you're a real estate agent, those homes that are sold on the subdivision when you drive out and look at brand new condominiums or you look at subdivisions in other words single-family homes the people out of selling those are real estate agents and in some cases they're either working for a builder you know say it's a fairly large builder maybe that builder is large enough that they have enough homes to sell that they have a staff that's able to do that but you can also find out where real estate companies in town right now Uh, For example, Lion, Lion Realtors uh, uh, sells a lot or lists a lot of lots or sites for the construction of brand new homes up in the El Dorado County area. Uh, They have a trailer. They have somebody that's there to meet people, show them where the sites are. Uh, They also are involved in selling uh, homes usually after they've been built. So this is something that, you know, as an area where, say, as a brokerage company, you could focus your attention on, on the sale of uh, subdivision, homes, condominiums, townhouses, loft apartments, or whatever. The other thing they talk about here is something called intrastate sales. Um, okay, intrastate sales. All they're really talking about in this particular one is they're talking about bringing back and reminding us that in, when we do something with property that we have to follow the Subdivision Map Act and the Subdivided Lands Act. If you Remember, the Subdivision Map Act is uh, that act that covers what the counties or the city planning departments have to follow in order to prove a subdivision and the subdivided lands act is what the uh, California Department of Real Estate follows for the public report so that's what this is about okay and um, anyway so they give you some ideas here they say you could be talking about things such as home home sales home and condominium sales Improved lot sales. I see a lot of that up in El Dorado and Placer County where uh, a developers come in and just you know created the lots, put all the off-site improvements in, in other words the streets, the curbs, the gutters, the electrical power and now they're going to sell the individual lots to builders or individual homeowners that are going to build houses. You can talk about things like sale and lease of industrial property, sale and lease of commercial properties or timeshare sales. Timeshare sales again is where you're taking a, uh, a uh, if you will, you see a lot of this more in the area of like uh, Hawaii or uh, Lake Tahoe. What it is is that you have something like, looks like a condominium unit. And uh, what happens is, is instead of you buying that whole condominium unit and owning it for the whole year, what you do is you buy shares. So you may buy weeks, like you may buy uh, the week around Christmas or the week around Easter and you're, you're buying the right for you to go there uh, during that week with your family and enjoy skiing or surfing or whatever they happen to have available. So timeshares is that kind of a concept, and that's got, kind of gotten to be a fairly large thing. Some people, uh, you can trade your shares. In other words, you can have shares where you can go to Tahoe for one week, but you may decide this year you don't want to go to Lake Tahoe. You want to go to uh, you know, to uh, Nevada, not Nevada, but New York, or in fact, a lot of these are even international. You may decide you want to trade your week with somebody in England. So a lot of that activity is going on. Okay. Another thing they talk about in here is being somebody called a real estate investment counselor. Uh, According to what the book had said here, which I believe is true, what you're really talking about is you're talking about somebody that has gained uh, probably a fairly substantial extensive amount of experience um, in helping the clients, making business decisions on on the purchase and sale of uh, real estate investments. Uh, now, this can take a lot of different turns, uh, and I can kind of lump a whole bunch of stuff together here. You could be just a general investment counsel that's working with people and, and doing things like uh, maybe a certified financial planner and working with people uh, to make arrangements for uh, their estate planning, their retirement planning, their pension planning, so that could be one avenue and part of the activity you're going to be involved with is maybe they might be interested in buying shares in uh, a limited partnership with, uh, for the construction of a brand new apartment house or the purchase of an existing apartment house, so that might be one avenue. Uh, The other thing that you could be doing, too, is is just as a real estate counselor, if you will, is you can be somebody that just decides to become very knowledgeable in a certain area. And it could be something like economics, like maybe you might be doing something like studies about what the growth patterns are in, in Sacramento and working with developers and putting data and information together to help them make better decisions on where to locate subdivisions or townhouse complexes or whatever. So there's a lot of different activities. You will find out, though, if you're going to do an investment counselor, you're usually going to probably tie that together with doing some other things. You may be wanting to be a real estate person and a certified financial planner and be working with people as far as their retirement plans go, wills, estates, things like that. Okay, So that's another area you can focus on. Um, Down below here, they talk about trying to uh, give you some ideas about uh, real estate brokerage, general versus specialization. Generalized basically means that you do a little bit of everything. And there are sometimes reasons why you may do that. Again, I would point to something like a small town in which you may find out that you're the only real estate company in town, or maybe there's only two or three of you. And you're finding out that you're leasing, you know, in order for you to even be in business, you're finding out that you're leasing office space, you're leasing some retail space, you're helping somebody uh, buy a bed and breakfast, build a home, you know, or a home to put a bed and breakfast in. You're finding that you're selling some townhouses, some condominium units, maybe you're an insurance agent. In other words, you're doing a lot of activity in order to make a living there. But as you get into the larger geographical areas, like we are in Sacramento, you're finding out that, hey, maybe you can specialize, specialize in certain areas. So this is just to give you an idea of some of the areas. Now, even within the business plan, these are some of the things that I ask you to do. As you may find out, for example, you want to specialize in a certain geographical area. This is directly out of the business plan. So you may say, you know what, I don't want to really drive all over Sacramento or all over Placer County or all over El Dorado County. What I really want to do is I really like here in the South Sacramento area around Sacramento City College and the area where I kind of want to specialize and become really knowledgeable in and sell homes is around Land Park, south of Land Park, you know, all around this area. That's where I'm going to specialize. I'm going to become very knowledgeable. I'll know all the schools that are in the area. I'll know what the services are. I'll understand when maybe I'll even know when the homes were built. I'm going to work real hard at getting getting to know all the people that live in this community. I'm going to send newsletters out to them. I'll keep them informed about what's happening in the community. Uh, what homes in the area are selling for? What they're renting for? Whatever. So you're going to specialize based on geographical area. Doesn't mean that you're locked in. I mean, there's nothing wrong with somebody walking into your office and saying, "Could you please help me fu- buy a home in um, in El Dorado County?" But then, you know, you may very well say, "You know, I don't really know that very well," and you may have somebody you refer another agent that you refer that business up to them. Okay? But the idea is that you're specializing in some geographical area because there's enough homes or properties in that area for you to make a living if you sell enough of them, so geographical. The second one is that you can specialize in something called a price range. And what you'll kind of find out is, is that, if, especially if you look at some of the, uh, like the newspapers on uh, Sunday in Sacramento Bee, Saturday and Sunday, and you look at some of the local papers, or even some of the high-level magazines like this, generally right now there's a lot of these magazines that will just cover like the Folsom area, Sacramento magazine, things like that. They'll have agents in there that are selling million-dollar or multi-million-dollar homes, and they take a certain expertise in order to sell that. The way that, the way, you know, who finances those homes, where are they located, what kinds of attributes that they have. And so you'll find agents that will really focus their attention on just selling that level of home. And they don't sell a lot of them. We're not talking about selling 50 or 60 of them, but they set when they sell, they make quite a bit of commission on the sale. But it takes a lot of expertise and a lot of knowledge on how to set those houses up to sell. And people will decide, that's what I want to focus on. Conversely, you could decide that you want to work with people out of getting ready to buy their first home. And they're going to be, uh, you may be going to work with somebody like the Home Loan Counseling Center. You're going to become very familiar with all the first loan, first-time buyer programs. Uh, You may be going to be targeting people. Uh, Maybe you're going to be looking to have open houses in smaller units, uh, you know, like uh, townhouses, condominium units. Uh, You may be uh, going to have open houses on weekends. And you're going to really focus on trying to help these people out of first buying their first home. And that can be a very good area to specialize in because, you know, the, a lot of those homes typically will be on the market because they're lower in price and if, especially if they're in a fairly good area, they'll fairly sell fairly quickly. They'll move fairly quickly. So you may not be, you may not be selling the million-dollar home, but in the meantime, while that person's waiting to sell that million-dollar home, you may sell three or four of the small condos, townhouse-type units, and you may feel very comfortable doing that, okay? Okay. Um, the next thing is, is that you can be involved in something called real property exchanges. This is back into something uh, that's involving the income tax area. The concept is here is that uh, you may find out that uh, when you're working with uh, people, investors, you know, they're saying, you know, what if I sell? You know, like if an investor has a piece of property and they sell it, and they don't do any anything else, they take no other, no other. Action, except put it on the market sell it and give me the cash they're going to have to pay taxes on it that year they're gonna to have to pay taxes on it, capital gains tax on it now real estate exchanges is where under the Internal Revenue Service IRS code 1031 allows you if you will and it's a fairly complex area that's why it's an area you may want to specialize in but what it allows you to do is to take the property that you're selling and take the money from that property and and essentially put it like into an escrow account and then specifically identify that money to be used to buy another property. Now again this is a fairly complex area. It's an area that does take quite a bit of expertise in and there are people for example that will be exchange facilitators. In other words they're very knowledgeable in doing this and people will look to them to help this process work correctly. So that's another area you may want to specialize in. couple other things down, down the next page that you that you can do along with your regular activity, as long as you're licensed, is you can become an appraiser, and you could be doing both of them. Uh, you may find out, again, um, this is an area that you may find out where you may be selling some homes and you may also be doing some appraisal. Uh, typically, appraisers in, in California, at least, and they have really, really gotten strict on the licensing requirements because in the past, People were kind of being, uh, not doing, a you know, there was a lot of money lost in the real estate business because appraisers historically in the past, many, many years ago, weren't really doing a very good job of it. So now there's a lot of strict requirements, a lot of licensing that has to be done. There's uh, a lot of coursework that they, people have to take, and you just can't be a real estate appraiser by taking one course and hanging a shingle outside or a sign outside. You actually have to have hours in which you actually do appraisals underneath the control or the guidance of a real estate license real estate appraiser, and you have to work with them and you have to build hours. For example, uh, to move from a trainee to just a regular residential appraiser, you have to put in probably well over 2,000 hours worth of on-the-job work plus take courses. And for more information on that, you can find that out through the Office of Real Estate Appraisers, which is one of the uh, California state offices. Uh, Again, you can be a property manager, a loan broker is another one, a counselor. We talked about that. Subdivider, syndicator, escrow title. So this is just more or less a rehab of uh, what you can do. Uh, You can be dealing with uh, private. You could go into the business and just deal basically with helping people that are buying and acquiring properties. I mean, most of the large uh, companies like... uh, Home Depot and lowe's and and rallies have real estate departments just to acquire, manage and take care of the properties they own and then finally, you could also do things like teaching like I do, okay, so that takes care of that. Next thing that they talk about in here is something called manufactured housing. and this is as you as at one time, mobile home parks, as we call them. Uh, mobile home parks and and, uh, manufactured housing had kind of a bad name, and actually they sort of come together. Mobile home parks uh, typically were looked at as, you know, the people that lived there didn't have a lot of money, it was a poor area, uh, there might have been a lot of crime or whatever. Right now what you're finding is a lot of the people that live in a lot of the mobile home parks are people that are retired, or senior citizens they're very comfortable they don't need a very large place to live they maybe are going to do a lot of traveling and they'll actually what they'll do is they'll own um, they may have a mobile home that they own and and they have it on a piece of property or they may have it in a mobile home park these homes are something that you can focus your attention on on listing these properties for sale and uh, helping people acquire these mobile homes they do spend some time in here going over and making sure that you know that there are certain, for example, when we talk about mobile homes, the mobile home has to be, have been, considered to be a mobile home, has to be licensed with the Department of Motor Vehicles for at least a year or longer. You cannot be, and it talks about it in here specifically, you cannot be as a real estate agent in the mobile home, brand new mobile home sale business. So you're talking more about in the, in the resale area, but a lot of these mobile home, homes now are selling they're not cheap I mean I've seen them for sale for you know hundred two hundred thousand dollars so they're not a small amount of money anymore especially when they're looked at as an alternative type of housing you know when people are turning around and saying you know listen I can't afford to buy a single-family home in fact I don't even really want a home that has a lot of grass to mow I don't want to do that but I do want to have a place to live that I want to call my own and you're finding out is as the home prices go up also carrying along with them have been the mobile homes so that's another area that you may want to focus your attention on. Um, they do spend time in here talking about the opportunities and also the mobile home versus the real estate broker. Okay? Very, very strict about how that's done. Um, the other thing I want to mention too is make sure that we that we emphasize the fact that mobile homes typically, not typically, but have always been built in some form of a factory environment or factory condition. In other words, they're built in uh, a large manufacturing facility where all of the wood is put together there, all the steel beams are put together there. The whole unit is built on a roof. When we talk about manufactured homes now, which is not necessarily the same as mobile homes, manufactured homes has become more popular and as the cost of labor continues to go up, you see builders Starting to more and more figure out how to build at least if not the whole house components of the house in a controlled environment, uh, for example, instead of building the walls on site, they very well may go to a lumber yard, a fairly large lumber yard and say here 's the house, plans for the house. please build all these walls ahead of time in your in your in your lumber yard under an ideal condition." turn around, get them all, put them on the back of a flatbed truck, strap them down, and then ship them out to my house. You see that also with the trusses. The roof trusses are done that way. When they built my house, a lot of the walls came like that that were pre-built. The trusses were pre-built. If you went out on the job site and you had looked at that site, you'd see that there was very little waste. In other words, because of that, because they're able to do things under very ideal conditions, you're not having people out there that are soaring off this much off the end of a two-by-four and throwing the rest of it away. I mean, everything is really being well used. So as the costs of material go up, the cost of labor goes up, you'll see builders and developers start building more and more stuff in a factory environment. In fact, uh, uh, we talk about this in an economics class. One of the first uh, builders, believe it or not, that built uh, homes that you could put together on-site or be shipped to you on-site was not done like the last couple of years, it was done in the 1800s and it was Sears and Roebuck. Sears and Roebuck uh, has is been well known for building homes that were manufactured in like a factory environment and then shipped with a set of plans on how to put them together on site. So it's been going on for a long period of time. A lot of your commercial projects for example will do a lot of concrete manufacturing of, of shells and, and areas ahead of time and then just deliver them to site and lift them up with cranes to reduce the cost of materials and labor again. That's the reason why they do that. Um, I think the last thing that we're going to probably talk about here is that you do have a uh, manufacturer listing agreement like you would a listing agreement for a regular single-family home. Again, this looks pretty much... Uh, I think the thing that you want to get out of this is the fact to understand that there is a specialized document for just mobile homes, okay? And I'll go through this as quick as I can. You know, a lot of this is pretty much the same as as the listing agreement you would see on a a single-family house, but this is an exclusive right to sell. It's talking about the fact that this is a manufactured home, so it's put in the document itself. It says the manufactured home to be sold with the real property. If it is, it's going to describe what the real property is because you could sell the manufactured home separately than the real property. Okay, so those people that have mobile homes in mobile home parks are paying, may own the mobile home, but they're paying a monthly rental fee for the spot where the mobile home is located. Um, They'll talk about, again, this is all dealing with uh, issues to... That have to deal with uh, real property uh, manufactured homes okay so you'll see all this language in here again the same thing is is we have like multiple listing can you put it in the multiple listing service yes there are manufactured homes in the MLS system Uh, title uh, title and escrow okay turn the document uh, get the other document over here move over here for a second This part here is like the regular document, talks about the compensation to the broker, so you get paid a commission for this. Again, broker's duties and responsibilities and agency relationships, which is just the same as as the document you have for a regular single-family home. Lockbox, deposits, dispute resolutions, that's pretty much the same. Down here we have our regular arbitration clause in the event that we have any disputes. Over here we have our exclusions, uh, attorneys fees, additional terms, and then finally where we sign down the bottom. So I think what you, I want to get to you is the fact that um, is the fact that uh, we already have a system set up, if you will, for the listing and the sale. Of manufactured homes, and there are actually documents that are there. They're in the MLS system. People are buying and selling them on a fairly regular basis. You're probably going to see more of them sold as they get the quality of them go up, and uh, especially with a lot of people getting uh, older. There's a lot of people now that are my age and older that are deciding, hey, you know what? I don't, you know, I do not necessarily. I want to have a home. I want to have a place where I live, but I won't, I'm not going to live there all the time. What I'm going to do is I plan on, my wife and I plan on living there maybe during the summer, and then during the winter we're going to go someplace else, and we're going to take our not our mobile home, but our motor home with us and go someplace. So you'll see a lot of those types of activities happening. Uh, down here, it gives you a kind of a profile of who the typical uh, manufactured person is, and they just give you some statistics, and again, this will always change, but it says who is the typical manufactured home buyer according to the manufactured home uh, housing industry statistics, more than 12 million persons live in mobile homes. Uh, of this figure, 43% are 34 years of age or younger, 26% are between the ages of 35 and 54, and 31% are 55 years of age or older. Uh, and nearly 75% of the people are uh, are married. So, uh, you know, you're going to see, more, again, more and more older people, people my age, I don't want to say older, but people my age that are going to be looking for these mobile, mobile homes to live in because they want to downsize. Uh, financing, uh, there's a lot of different financing programs that are available. But they say 25% of all manufactured home buyers pay cash for their units, probably because they're coming out of another uh, larger home. The remaining 75% make a large down payments, only a small percentage are financed as real estate, and most units go on the books of commercial banks that are active installment sale lenders. So anyway, the concept that we have here, and I, I want to let you know there are, there are programs that are available for people to buy. There are FHA programs uh, where you can use the FHA. Uh, VA has programs that can uh, help people that want to buy their first home and buy a mobile home. I wouldn't swear to it, but I would say that probably CalVet would have that, you know, because there are areas where veterans live and they and they want to own uh, or live in a mobile home. You see a lot of mobile homes, um, uh, like in the south part of the country, there are a lot of people that live in mobile homes down there. In fact, when we have some of these hurricanes or uh, tornadoes, we see where <laughs> these parks happen to get hit. But the thing is, is there are a lot of people that live in the mobile homes and uh, they're quite happy. In fact. In a lot of cases, uh, for people that are interested in getting a place to live, uh, for example, down closer to the coast or up in the mountains, and they need you know, and they want to buy property, and the property is okay and it's approved for them to do that. Maybe if they want something that's going to be a getaway place to go to, maybe the best way to do it is to do it as a, as a mobile home and not buy a cabin or anything. Uh, it might be a better way. So anyway, we're not too far from the end. Uh, the thing that we want to maybe emphasize here is that what this chapter really dealt with was the fact of, uh, of, of looking at different types of alternative things that you can do in the real estate business besides selling single family homes. That there are a lot of other activities that you can be involved with that have that you may be more interested in. You, know, you can specialize, if you will, in things such as selling businesses. That happens to be one of the activities. So if you have, for example, the kind of person that likes to work with some financial statements and and thinks that you have a pretty good handle on businesses and uh, would like to work in that area, that could be an area that you maybe want to specialize in on a full-time basis or at least a part-time basis. Uh, Remember that there are other kinds of activities that you can do, too. You can do property management. You can be selling subdivisions. You can be originating loans. Loans are a very uh, very good business to be in uh so you can and then there 's even a degree of specialization there. there are people that are helping a lot of people buy their first homes, and then there are people that are helping to finance the the more expensive homes uh Real estate appraisal is another thing that you may want to be considering um, uh, that 's an area in which you can earn uh, a fairly good living it may it may be where you want to put the two of those activities together where you 're maybe listing homes for sale and at the same time maybe that you're uh, Uh, doing appraisals and uh, I believe the law doesn't allow you to do appraisals on properties that you're involved with but I mean it can be a service that you can offer again if you're going to be doing appraisals or work doing appraisals for people remember the source of your business in a lot of cases is going to be lenders because once people put their loan application in and they run their credit score and their credit check, the next thing that they're going to be doing, the lender is going to be looking for, is the appraisal on the property to see if the value is there for them to lend the money on. So with that, I think we've pretty much covered this chapter. I want to thank you very much for coming, and we'll see you back here the next time for show number 26. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank mm-hmm.